Welcome to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. Today we have a recording from the 2016 Tucson Festival of Books. Moderator Toby Weiner spoke with longtime Sesame Street actor and writer Sonia Manzano about her memoir, Becoming Maria, Love and Chaos in the South Bronx. Welcome everyone. Our special guest has arrived, so we can get started. Thank you for joining us. The presentations you see here are brought to you by Nuestras Raíces, a Pima County Public Library uh, program that builds community by celebrating Latino arts, authors, and culture. The following presentations and all those in our tent are made possible by the generous support of the Friends of the Pima County Public Library. Our next presentation is Becoming Maria, From the South Bronx to Sesame Street. For 44 years, Sonia Manzano proved to children everywhere that hope and love can overcome fear and violence. Her memoir, Becoming Maria, is about one child's struggle and one woman's triumph. And now I'd like to introduce your moderator for this presentation, Toby Weiner. All right, thank you for joining us. I am so honored to be here with Sonia. So the, the first thing you notice about your book, it's not really about Sesame Street. No, it's, it's not. Uh, uh, th this, this latest one, uh, Become Maria Love and Chaos in the South Bronx, heavy on the chaos, I will warn you, is, is sort of what my life was up until I got onto Sesame Street because I really uh, uh, wanted to track that journey. And when I left the show, um, you may know that I left Sesame Street recently because 44 years was long enough for me to wait for Oscar the Grouch to propose. <laughs> So anyway, I started to think, how did I get to Sesame Street? What in my life made me end up there? Because it was a tumultuous life, and, and I um, uh, was surprised that I ended up the way I ended up. And I wanted to chart it, and that's, I think that's the most important thing about that book. Well, you know, we, as moderators, we always have to try to think of the most amazing questions to ask, and it's so hard, you know. But one of the first things that popped into my head when I read about the numerous awards that you've received, 15 for writing, uh, uh, for Sesame's 15 Emmys. Um, where's your awards? I got this from your website. Uh, Hispanic Heritage Award for Education, Congressional Hispanic Caucus Award. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Is there any award that stands out as making you really proud of your work and, and appreciative of the recognition of your work. Yes, when I got inducted into the Bronx Hall of Fame. <laughs> because I suppose that I felt that I was spent the early part of my life trying to get out of the Bronx because it was such a tough area. Uh, but... Um, now at this end of my life, I can't stay out of the Bronx, working with the Bronx River Alliance and trying to establish a children's museum. So being part of the, of the Bronx folklore is very important to me. And of course, all the other awards are wonderful. As somebody I know, a good friend always used to say when she got an award, well, it's better than a poke in the eye. So... Uh, <laughs> Wonderful. So I was reading that you started writing 
when you were acting on Sesame Street in the 80s. So you had been acting for a while, and then you started writing. And so what brought that on? I, I learned early on that um, the people who are having real, a, a lot of fun, more than the actors, are the writers and the producers. It's the people behind the camera that make the decisions as to what gets shot and what gets said. The actor is the last one on the totem pole of power, unless you're a big, uh, big star. And uh, after five years or however long I was on Sesame Street, contributing to the show as an actor, I wanted to do more. And I, and I, uh, I, I um, uh, wanted to impact the Latino sensibility of the show and the Latino segments. And a lot of the, the material was... Uh, could have been more exciting and maybe more true. And you could only do that as a writer. And they wanted more. Uh, and I would, uh, Latino input. And I would say, oh, this should be this. They finally said, why don't you write it? Th that's the best thing, is if you did it. And I said, oh my God, I really backtracked there, you know. I didn't mean to do that. I just wanted to give my opinion and let somebody else do it. <laughs> but then they said, why don't you do it? And then, because uh, they were wonderful people, and that's how I started writing uh, scenes for the show. And, you know, I always remember my upbringing, even when I was writing for Ernie and Bert or uh, Big Bird, uh, things that happened to me as a kid in the South Bronx that I could sort of change and kind of filter and make it go through the puppet's eyes. Uh, so that's how I started writing. And the Emmys are, I received 15 Emmys, but so did like, you know, all the other writers on the, of the staff of the show at the same time. Well, you cover a lot of subjects on Sesame Street um, that people don't necessarily think, you know, maybe as a subject for children. I was there when Mr. Hooper died. And, and I remembered that. And I, I remember a few years ago talking about it with somebody and we went on and revisited those scenes. And it was incredible for a children's show to do that. And so how did you present, like, I, we have to do these heavy subjects. How did, well, that it, was, was the, it organic? That was a wonderful time. It was Miss, the guy who played Mr. Hooper, beloved actor Will Lee, passed away. And uh, nobody knew what to do to explain his absence. And uh, Dulcie Singer, a, pr a wonderful producer, the one who said, why don't you write it, uh, uh, said, wait a second, if this is a show that is teaching, showing children true life as real as possible, uh, why should we not show them death? It's part of life. It happens to everyone. It's no one's fault. And uh, she prevailed, and she got a lot of research as to what children knew about death and and um, I mean, or, or what we all know as a society, what we're comfortable with. And uh, basically it was kids want to know who's going to do this for me when this person is gone. Um, why did it have to happen? And uh, so we tried to answer those questions even when there were no answers. Just Because is the name of the show. And at the end of the show, a baby is born. And Big Bird says, wow, Mr. Hooper used to be here and now he's not. And that baby didn't used to be here and now it is. So that's sort of the, the explanation of the cycle. And that was, I think, one of the moments I was most proud to be part of the show. Wonderful. Well, uh, what, 30-some years later, we can still, I can still picture People it. People still remember that. And we also did, you know, my um, 
falling in love and my getting married and my having a baby and I did a sonogram on the show and I nursed on the show. Um, and so it's sort of like, you know, a reality show, right? Without the whining. <laughs> so, so you were writing scripts for the show. Did you write for any other shows? Um, I wrote for Little Bill. If you remember that uh, uh, Bill Cosby show, I, I wrote a few uh, uh, segments for that show. Okay. Uh, but um, I, uh, I had a lot of creative energy and I wanted to write more. And over the years, Sesame Street started producing less shows. The whole television has changed so dramatically from when we started. We used to shoot 160 shows. Now television uh, children's shows shoot 20. And they're very short. And this is all because of computers, because kids like to watch the same programming over and over again, which we could not have, we never would have believed that when we started. And, uh, and they like to watch short segments, like 15-minute shows. So anyway, because of all of those reasons, the show started to produce less as it expanded the cast of humans and Muppets. But I still had a lot of creative energy, so I put it into writing books. Yes, that's what I was going to ask next. And that's what made you start to, to write the books. Yeah, that's what I wrote. And was it and No I, Dogs Allowed? No Dogs Allowed okay. was my first book. And I have to say that I was inspired by the wonderful uh, writer Frank McCourt, who wrote Angela's Ashes. And I thought that was the most remarkable book. It was so heartbreaking. These people were so poor, yet it was so funny. I was reading Angela's Ashes once, one morning, and I laughed so unexpectedly. I was drinking coffee, and the coffee shot out of my nose. Uh. And I thought, wow, that is some powerful writing. Okay, to make someone laugh like that? So I, uh, I, I thought in my life, wait a minute, I had misery. I had humor. I'm going to try doing that kind of memoir. And I used to call these memoirettes, these little ones. And it was, you know, inspired by him. And all of my picture books are based on things that happened to me as a kid. No dogs allowed. We used to get up to go to the beach at like 4 o'clock in the morning, I kid you not, in the Bronx. And we would bring guitars, rice, beans, roast pork, coffee. My mother used to grind coffee at the beach. And it was like, and then we'd have like a caravan, five cars, uncles, aunts, everybody in the tri-state area would come, would go. And one day we went with another family that had a dog. And when we went through all of this preparation, we get there, and it's, the sign said, no dogs allowed. And these, uh, these Puerto Ricans are saying, like, wait a second, dogs are supposed to be outside. Why, you know, what, what? They couldn't understand this at all. So I had a little sad ending. In reality, they had to leave. But in my book, there's a happy ending. <laughs> and then they wrote a musical out of it. Yes, yes, and then we uh, turned it into a musical, and uh, we put wonderful songs in it and changed the plot a little bit, and uh, so that was a lot of fun. Oh, I'd love to see that. You are listening to moderator Toby Wainer with longtime Sesame Street actor and writer Sonia Manzano discussing her memoir, Becoming Maria, Love and Chaos in the South Bronx, on 30 Minutes, 91.3 KXCI Tucson. So, so I, I know we want to talk about your other books, but we do really want to talk about Becoming Maria. And I know I was reading how you said it was painful to put 
some of your tumultuous, chaotic upbringing into writing. Was it also cathartic? Yes, of course. If you ever attempt writing, I assume there's you know, aspiring writers in the audience, and it is cathartic to, to put things... When you write, you put it outside of you, and you can examine what, what your feelings are, and you, can, you are forced to answer questions that you uh, uh, shied away from before. And I just saw a, a documentary on Loretta Lynn. And, you know, she always writes all these songs about cheating and alcohol, you know, drinking and getting beat up and everything. And they asked her, why do you write all of these songs about things that have, obviously, we assume, happened to you? And she said, well, when I write a song about it, it doesn't bother me that much. And I think that that's absolutely the creative process. You put it outside of you, and it becomes something else, less painful. Wow. Wow. Did, did you receive any backlash from family or, or anything like that? That's a very good question. You would think that my siblings and I had different parents. Okay? First of all, they never remembered anything that I remembered. And they didn't remember it in the same way. I mean, they would remember the events, but they would say, oh, that wasn't so bad. You made such a big deal out of it. And uh, in addition to not realizing, uh, was it this apartment or that apartment? So which makes me think that a life is made up of the memories in the way you remember them. Not, it has nothing to do with what really happened. <laughs> And uh, my parents passed away, so they, um, uh, they, uh, they never got a chance to read it. But I know they would have said, like, what are you talking about? You know, why were you so upset about this stuff that had nothing to do with you? Any regrets on anything you wrote in there? Uh, I, I do not have any regrets. I think I'm not sorry about anything that I wrote. I... I, I, I I, I'm not. I just remember things that happened to me as a kid and my point of view, and I thought I'd want to share that. Yeah, and and it's, it's very blunt, very kind of to the point, not sugarcoating. No, I don't. No, no I mean, I, I just observe things that happened that, that happened as a kid that I, you know, I opened the book by thinking that, because I remember thinking my mother was cooking my father because they lived in, a, in an old building on First Avenue that had the, the bathroom was outside, it was communal. Everybody on the floor used it. And then there was a big tub in the kitchen with a metal t cover. And you would use it as a bathtub during the day and then put a cover on it and it would be the table at night. But that was the only place to take a bath as well. And I remember that there was probably, there probably wasn't any hot water, so she was heating water in the stove, pouring it into the tub, and he's like this, in the tub, because he barely fit. Well, to a little kid, she's moving from the stove and hot water, and, and I'm associating cooking with it. With it. And it, what, what was important to me was to capture the way a kid sees the things going on around the, the, kid, the kid's mind and how a kid tries to put two and two together because they do try to put two and two together. And that's, that's one thing I learned from Sesame Street that I think is absolutely true. We always think that, that um, 
kids don't want to grow up. You know that song, I'll never grow up, never grow up, like it's so great, an eternal kid. Nobody wants to be an eternal kid. Kids want to join the tribe. They want to know what's up, what's going on. They want to participate. You know, you tell them it's your turn to take the garbage out. Oh, well, it's my turn to take the garbage out. You know, they want to be part of it. And uh, we had a producer who used to say that at Sesame Street all the time. They want to know what's going on. They don't want to sugarcoat it. And I, I think I tried to do that in the book. Yeah. Um. I, I don't see a lot of young audience members. Um, I was going to say, do you think young audience members would be surprised that beloved Maria knows the F word? <laughs> I know. The, I know. Uh, let's see who said that. To, oh, one of the reviewers said, well, she does drop the F bomb a lot. But uh, uh, so I don't know. What can I say? I don't know. <laughs> There you are, there you have it. Now, did you keep a journal or a diary, or is this all from, you know, just kind of recollection? I never kept a journal, but I think you all know, if, when you think back on your lives, aren't there high points that you think it's this happened, and then this, this was a big change, and this was a big change? And, and those are like what you hang the rest of the story on, are the, the arc of the big changes that go on in your life. Do you keep a diary now? No. Nope. No, okay. No. Okay, no, no. so the next memoir will it's be strictly from head. memory. Okay. <laughs> um, so let's see. You you said you you want to concentrate more on writing. Do you want to write more memoirs? Maybe um, I'd like to do another memoir. I think from you know my life on Sesame Street, but it'll be about madness and love. So oh, okay. in the midst of Sesame Street, I think. <laughs> um, and uh, but all of these are little memoirs. I have to say. A Box Full of Kittens is based on a time that I had an aunt who was pregnant and nobody had a phone. This is before cell phones. And they didn't have a landline either. So uh, my mother says, go stay with aunt so-and-so in case something happens. You'll run and get me. So I'm thinking, oh, I'll stay with her and the baby will start to come and, and then I'll get help and then I'll be the hero, and then they'll give me a parade in the Bronx because I was the kid who got the cop, who got the thing, da, 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 da. Well, in real life, nothing happened. My uncle came home and sent me home, gave me a quarter. But in my fantasy, so I wrote that experience in this book. So still, it's, it's something that really happened that I, that I, but I remember that feeling as a kid of, you know, I'm going to be the one to, to, to save everybody and the, boy, they're going to learn their lesson about how great I am and they're going to treat me better. <laughs> now, do you, do you write the story and then share it or, or do you kind of talk about it at, a, in a, at an audience and you see the reaction and go, oh, maybe I should write that one down? Oh, no, that's a, that's a good question. I do write, uh, this, I don't ask an audience per se, but my poor husband who's sitting right here is reading everything that I've written and giving me, and giving me feedback. And, and if there's any writers out there or aspiring writers, that's what you have to do. You have to open it up. You have to write it and let people read it and really listen <laughs> to what they say to you, even if you don't like it. And then 
put it away and then look at it again and, and that's how your writing becomes better and better and you know my poor husband reads everything that I write. <laughs> well I, I had the honor to be at the author table last night where you did the keynote speech and we were talking about how you read from, from your memoir and how powerful it was, how riveted the audience was to hear your words coming out of your mouth and and would you like to share some with us? Sure. Okay. Sure. I'll, should I read what I read last night? Sure. That would be great. This was a moment I was like my most depressed. And uh, a teacher took me to see the movie West Side Story. It's such a cliche, but this, uh, uh, seeing this movie, uh, maybe you could find it for me. It's uh, actually, it's called. There it is, 124. And uh, so seeing this movie, this was in the days when teachers could do things for kids, you know, without checking with the Board of Education to like... So, you know, this teacher just said, she just checked with my mother if she could take me to the movies. And she took me and, and two girls to the movies. And um, I didn't realize I was depressed until years later when I went to visit her. I was already on Sesame Street. And she said, boy, you were one depressed kid. And uh, I, we didn't have words for that. We didn't have the word upset either. We never used that one either. Okay, so here I'm reading from uh, seeing this movie. Folks are chewing popcorn and chattering all around, but when the movie starts, silence falls on the spectators like a blanket from above. The sudden quiet stirs me and I look up from my lap to the screen. I see schoolyards and fences, that, the buildings and candy stores I've seen in all my neighborhoods, but here they look different, sharp, clear, bright, and beautiful. What is this that I'm watching? There is something different about the familiar indoor scenes as well. Here, a guitar leaning against the wall looks romantic. The shadows of holy crosses on the homemade altars are so mysterious, I quickly give religion a second thought. And seeing an actress wearing a cross daintily on her chest nails it for me. I, too, want to wear a sexy cross between my breasts. <laughs> the colors I see are hot pink and turquoise and purple, but they are bold and important and meaningful, not just loud. I stare at the screen with some mental distance so I can figure figure it out, but there's no figuring to do because when the actors sing and dance on a roof about being in America, my heart takes over and begins to beat faster and faster until it makes a racket in my ears that roars. My soul or some power inside me begins to rise and I panic. Will there be enough room in my body for this new feeling? Make way, make way, a voice inside me shouts. I sit up taller because if I don't accommodate this emotion, it will spill out and explode, maybe even hurting those around me. My eyes are open wider so I see everything better. My ears pick up all the musical sounds flowing and crashing into each other in the air. And I wonder how long have I been sleeping? My God, how long had I been unconscious and missing everything all around me? Asleep, like a drugged person, like Dennis the Junkie nodding out on 3rd Avenue. Is Ma right? Am I always daydreaming? Asleep, yes, but daydreaming, no, not really. Daydreams are possibilities. I never daydream anything I could, that I think could actually happen. I didn't know what things were possible. So I'm having, I'm having like this nervous breakdown. This poor teacher's going, oh, 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 she, and, and I'm crying and she takes me down and, and, and but I'm, uh, you know, I'm feeling, 
I don't want to feel better. She's, she, I don't want to stop crying because I'm going to own this. This is my sorrow, my tears. I'm owning it. And there's something, I felt empowered. And she brought me a, bought me a, a, a poster of Natalie Wood and, and the West Side Story. And I crushed the poster to my heart. And, you know, it was my new uh, sword, my armor. And I, you know, went home. And my mother said, so how's the movie? And I said, I can't even talk. I'm on higher ground now. <laughs> wow. Thank you. That was great. Well, You're welcome. Well, as we were saying, the book actually isn't about Sesame Street. Not at all. Not at all. But except I always, I think like, I, I became a good Maria because of everything that happened to me. Because I found of sanctuary watching television as my parents were having this crazy life, I watched television for comfort and, and a sense of order. I even loved this terrible show called Queen for a Day where the most miserable person would get the award. <laughs> remember that shot, I don't know if you remember, you can watch it on YouTube, it is so weird. <laughs> There's three women, they have, one, they're poor, they have no houses, they don't have a wheelchair for their twins. And they, and they say, and then there's an applause meter, and the, the woman who gets the most applause for the most misery wins. She gets a refrigerator because it was General Electric, the, the sponsor, and they, and also whatever she wanted, the wheelchair or the tea, you know, whatever that thing. And, you know, and I used to think like, you know, Ma could be on that show. <laughs> we'd win, we'd win a lot if she was on that show. It validated misery. Now talk about, you know, trying to find answers on television. So I think that I, I ended up on television and I always remembered the kid who could be watching in a tumultuous environment looking for comfort and order and entertainment. And I was happy that, I, that Sesame Street gave me the place to do that. I kind of became what I needed myself to see on television. And, you know, and uh, I, I, I don't think I've accomplished that. I know I've accomplished that by the letters that I get, that I've received since I've left the show. People have said, if I hadn't seen you, I never would have gone into broadcasting. You were the first Latin I saw on television. Um, you were like my mother. Some, a woman said, my mother was schizophrenic, and the only moment of peace I had was that one hour a day watching you on the show. It's, 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 uh, it's been uh, a, a kind of a full circle. So anyway, that, you know, and I think I am that because of everything that happened to me. So I didn't overcome a difficult childhood. I embraced it and used it to help me write, help me act. That was moderator Toby Weiner with longtime Sesame Street actor and writer Sonia Manzano discussing her memoir, Becoming Maria, Love and Chaos in the South Bronx, recorded at the Nuestras Raices Tent at the 2016 Tucson Festival of Books. This has been part one of a two-part series. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager.